Welcome to the VVV Podcast. Today, we are joined by Nick White, COO at Celestia and co-founder of the Harmony Protocol. Celestia is a modular consensus and data network built to enable anyone to easily deploy their own blockchain with minimal overhead. They provide consensus and security on demand enabling anyone to deploy a blockchain without the overhead of bootstrapping a new consensus network. So, welcome everybody to another episode of our VVV AMAs. Today we've got a very special guest and we are really excited. And I'm joined by my co-host, Jesse. Are you here, Jesse? Yeah, I'm here. Can you hear me, guys? I can hear you. Yeah, perfect. Good day, everyone. Hello, Jesse. Would you mind to introduce our today's guest? Sure thing. Um, today, we are joined by Nick White, the COO of Celestia and co-founder of the Harmony Protocol. Today, we're going to talk about a bit uh, about the modularity in blockchains and why the solution will drastically change what can be done on chain. Nick, it's a pleasure to meet you. I think we have just a problem with the speaker roles. Just a second. There we go. Nice. Ah, yeah. yeah. For, for whatever okay. Reason. Hi, Nick. Hi, guys. Nice to be here. Um, thanks for hosting nice me. To meet you too. To, uh, meet everyone and talk about modular blockchains and all that good stuff. Awesome. Yeah, really looking forward to it. So maybe, Nick, we start with a small introduction. I've heard you're obsessed with modularity, uh, which we will get your perspective on in a second. But first, maybe a high-level introduction about Celestia and your background would be great. Sure. So I got, um, well, I'm, I'm an engineer by training. I studied electrical engineering. I actually was studying things like neural networks back in the day. Um, and then I discovered crypto in late 2016 and um, kind of fell down the rabbit hole throughout 2017 and finally made the jump uh, from the AI industry into crypto in 2018. And I co-founded a project called Harmony. The thing, the reason I, I was working on Harmony is that I, it struck me that <clears throat> crypto was very much in uh, the infrastructure phase that we needed to solve, you know, scalable, useful infrastructure for the rest of the whole movement to actually flourish. And so um, at Harmony, we were trying to solve scalability with sharding um, and also building like proof of stake um, and it was a really good journey for two and a half years. But in late 2020, I discovered um, this new idea uh, through this white paper called Lazy Ledger that introduced me to um, modular blockchains. And I realized very quickly that modular blockchains were the answer to lots of problems in blockchain infrastructure, including scaling, bridging, um, even just having flexibility and sovereignty over um, execution environments. 
And um, yeah, I was just fully converted. So I ended up uh, taking a step back from Harmony and joining Lazy Ledger, which is now called Celestia. And what we're doing now is is building the first modular blockchain network where um, all Celestia does is just data availability and consensus. And um, it, it kind of provides this scalable foundation of security for uh, people to build blockchains on top um, in the form of rollups. So I'm sure we'll get into that. Sure thing. <laughs> um, maybe taking a step back for the people that don't really know the difference be uh, between modularity and the monolithic approach, could you go a bit deeper into what the differences are? Yeah, so um, the monolithic blockchains are what everyone is familiar with. Um, you know, so Bitcoin, Ethereum, Solana, Avalanche, um, essentially every uh, existing layer one blockchain is monolithic. And what that means is that um, blockchains have a certain number of core functions that they have to perform in order to be secure and to be usable. And um, monolithic protocols, monolithic blockchains do all of that within one network with one set of nodes and within one protocol. So they do all these things at the same time. And that ends up um, imposing constraints on things like their scalability, um, imposes constraints on the kinds of applications that developers can build, um, and so on. And uh, what a modular blockchain is, is that if you go back to first principles, um, you realize that actually these functions can be split up. There's no reason why they need to be bundled together in one protocol. You can actually unbundle them and um, have different protocols specialize in different functions. And then you can relayer those functions back together and you end up with the same, um, you know, able to achieve the same things, but with much better properties. So better scalability, better um, flexibility for developers, um, secure bridging, and a lot of other um, really new benefits that were not really thought possible um, before this modular architecture was uh, invented. That's an interesting approach, awesome. definitely. Um, so in my mind, could you say that the monolithic approach is more like a single computer with all the applications running at once and a monolithic approach is more like um, your RVS server or cloud-based services? Is that yeah, that's to a, say? yeah that, that's an analogy I really like to use. It's a little bit technical, um, but you can imagine like a monolithic blockchain is like, you know, a laptop or like a stand, like a desktop computer where um, it comes to you, it's already like packaged up. So it has a certain amount of memory and a certain amount of processing power. Um, and it, 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 that will not change. It's kind of just finite and fixed. And it also comes preloaded with, you know, an operating system that defines what kind of applications you can build on, on that machine. Um, and you're kind of like stuck with that. Like that's, that's what it is. So that, that's what a, a monolithic blockchain is. It comes to you and it has a, a finite amount of block space. So a finite amount of like transactions it can process. And it also comes to you preloaded with a virtual machine. So 
for example, like the Ethereum virtual machine or the Solana virtual machine. And that defines and kind of restricts and limits the kinds of applications you can build. Just like, you know, if I have a Windows machine or a Macintosh machine or a Linux machine, um, I, I can only run specific applications on specific operating systems. So <clears throat> um, the, the, in that, to extend that analogy, a modular blockchain is one where the, um, the, the hardware is not fixed or finite. So it's, it's sort of like a cloud, a cloud computer, cloud computing type of system where uh, in cloud computing, a, you know, a data center is just a bunch of um, like just raw computer parts that are all kind of um, sort of like aggregated together. And you can continue to add more and more capacity by adding more and more hardware, more and more machines to the data center. Um, and so unlike your desktop computer or like um, or a laptop, there is no fixed capacity. So actually it can increase when there's more demand. So in a modular blockchain, um, the block space is not finite and it can actually grow with the number of nodes in the network. So that's really powerful because, you know, as we all know, when demand to use a certain blockchain um, increases, if the block space doesn't grow, like in Ethereum, the fees have to really have to increase. And that causes a really bad user experience. And the other important part is that um, in a modular blockchain, just like in a cloud computing setup, the um, computing elements are just raw. They don't come preloaded with any kind of operating system. And so as a developer, I can go to you know, AWS and say, I want to run a Linux machine or I want to run a Windows machine or a Mac machine, whatever kind of operating system I want to run, um, I can configure that. Um, and so that's really um, powerful because <clears throat> it means that uh, on a blockchain like Celestia, you can run Ethereum virtual machine, you can run Solana virtual machine, you can run anything you want um, and even things that potentially people haven't uh, invented yet. So it's, it's much, much more flexible. That's that's really impressive, yeah. And I think uh, it is also uh, necessary, yeah, if we talk about uh, mass adoption of of the blockchain technology in future, to have the scalability and also the flexibility yeah, to to empower developers to create high performing and also secure applications, yeah. Definitely. So. To give our listeners a little bit more background about the modular architecture, um, could you could you explain a little bit about the different layers that we have in, in execution and settlement and consensus and, and data availability and their roles in the in the whole uh, concept? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so, analogy an analogy I like to use in this context is one of uh, a soccer game. So imagine there's um, like a game of soccer happening, right? And uh, mm -hmm. this is sort of like a metaphor for a blockchain where um, what's important is in, in a blockchain is that there are a set of rules that get enforced and, and no one can break them. So for example, like in Bitcoin, you know, you want to make sure no one can just print more Bitcoin out of thin air or in Ethereum, you want to make sure that the rules of the Ethereum virtual machine are like enforced to make sure that contracts are actually enforced properly. 
So in this analogy, you know, with soccer, there are obviously rules in soccer. Like you can't touch a ball, right? You can't, um, if the ball goes out of bounds, you have to stop play and someone has to throw it back in. Or if you score a goal, there's certain ways of scoring a goal. You can't be offsides or, or, or whatever, or only the goalie can use their hands, right? So there's a whole set of rules that make mm-hmm. the game of soccer fair. And um, that, the, the part that is um, enforcing rules is what we call execution. So um, execution is basically, how do I know when someone tells me what the state of the blockchain is? Like, oh, who has scored what points? Or in, in, in the blockchain context, who has what uh, amount of tokens in their account, um, et cetera. Those kind of things are enforced by execution. So execution is what makes sure that um, everything is valid and the, and the rules are followed. So that's what the execution layer is. Um, you also have the consensus layer, which is essentially that you need to ensure that um, the order of events uh, is consistent across everyone. So everyone in the stadium that's watching the soccer game needs to be able to agree upon like what uh, and what order different events happened. Um, because if they don't, then how will you know what's what's fair or not fair? Like if you if you're not watching all watching the same exact game, then um, it's really hard to tell. What's, you won't actually agree on what the outcome is. So consensus is all about ensuring that ordering of events is consistent and like people can't rewrite history. So you can't say, oh, look, this guy scored a goal. And then, oh, it turns out someone rewound history and wrote something new. That's kind of what like a, a fork is in a blockchain context. So consensus is very important in terms of securing that aspect of of the game and then um another important um layer in this is data availability which is basically that are people able to actually see the game and see what's happening um because what what someone could do is say hey um someone just scored this point but um if you wanted to look and verify for yourself and see like watch the instant replay or just actually see what happened um, you, you, you need to do that in order to actually verify that that actually happened, that it's real, that it's true, and no one broke the rules. And um, there are a class of attacks called data withholding attacks where someone will say, hey, this score was scold, uh, this score was, this goal was scored, but they will actually like basically cover your eyes and prevent you from seeing. Ah, Nick, are you still there? I think our guest dropped out. Jesse, can you uh, hear I me? Yeah, I can hear you, but I can't hear Nick. Yeah, okay. It seems that it's on his side. Yeah, let's wait a moment. Maybe he needs to reconnect. Uh, he's still here, but yeah, we cannot hear him anymore. Maybe to use the time, um, it would be great if if everyone could leave a like and retreat the space. <laughs> that's a that's a very good idea. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
yeah. spread the word about Celestia. Definitely. I mean, it's a really, what doing really, is, really interesting concept. Yeah. Revolutionary and probably, probably will change the way how blockchains will work in the future or in the near future. Yeah, I'm also fascinated about the, this this flexible approach. Yeah, that enables also yeah new use cases here yeah, in future. I think that's that's a very compelling thing about this modular concept. Oh no! Oh you're yeah, back. Nick, yeah. you're so, back. Sorry, <laughs> my, my, my don't Twitter worry. App crashed. Can no worries. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, we can hear you now. Okay, awesome. What was the last thing you heard? So, I, I, must have, I was going on Elon, for a very, very long uh, uh, thing before I realized that my app crashed. Yeah, it, it was just, I think, the last minute, yeah. yeah <laughs> okay. So when you talked about uh, people watching the game. Yeah, so did, did I cover the other uh, sort of like data availability and consensus part of that? Um, yeah. Data availability would be good to... Begin, so uh, yeah, yeah, so I, I know I, I think you probably heard that I uh, I explained the consensus part, uh, or sorry the, mm -hmm. the the execution part. You heard consensus as well that that's sort of like yeah everyone agrees on the order exactly. Of so you 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 started about the data availability yeah. part and then you dropped out. Okay, yeah. great. Okay, so yeah, the data availability part is basically that um, there's a, uh, everyone who wants to see the game can actually see the game and and verify what happens. So it's kind of like um, no one can hide the game from you. Or also another way to think about this is like the fact that you can have an instant replay. Like anyone who wants to, let's say someone says, hey, the, like this goal was scored. Um, anyone can rewind the tape and say, okay, yeah, I can watch that. And yes, I agree, a goal was scored. Um, because there's a whole class of attacks called data withholding attacks where someone will say, hey, just trust me, this is what happened. Um, and, uh, but then they won't, actually give you they won't actually let you watch they just say you have to believe me and so data availability is all about preventing that and making sure that the game is visible to everyone in the stadium um and and to extend this analogy a little bit more into the monolithic versus modular thing um a monolithic blockchain is um like a a, a soccer game where there's a limit to the number of players or a limit to the number of games that can happen at any given time uh, because there's a limited amount of block space. So more and more people trying to play the game, eventually you run out of capacity. Like you just can't have more people playing soccer. And a monolithic blockchain is also one where you um, can only play one game. It only knows how to, it only has one execution environment and therefore it can only play soccer, for example. Um, and in a modular blockchain is one where actually there's no um, limit, there's no fixed size to the uh, stadium. So you can, uh, and like the more people that are like attending and watching, the more people that are running nodes, um, the more uh, capacity for participation there is. So you can have more and more games or more and more players. Uh, so there's no like fixed capacity. And also a modular blockchain is one where it doesn't, uh, it, 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 it's not limited to only one sport. So it's not just soccer. You can play basketball or tennis or literally anything. People can invent new sports. So modular blockchain is more like, like the Olympics almost. Like they can grow to a much greater scale 
and have a lot more variety of different like games that are being played. Mm -hmm. I see. Yeah, it, it, it seems to me more like a, a toolkit yeah, to build whatever you like yeah, instead of a, a ready-made rigid uh, construct. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So um, in, in, the, in the blockchain space, we often hear about the blockchain trilemma. So I think the, the modular blockchain approach uh, will also solve the, the blockchain trilemma in, in terms of scalability, decentralization, and security. Could you uh, expand a little bit on, on that point? Absolutely. So um, since I would say the early days of Bitcoin, there have been uh, a lot of discussions and conversation as a, a very hot research topic of how to solve uh, blockchain scalability. And, um, you know, people explored every different corner of this trade-off space and uh, kind of eventually came to the conclusion that there was this sort of like trilemma, meaning like there's this uh, kind of insurmountable trade-off between security, decentralization, and scalability. And it really, I, it like, started to feel like that was true and, and people started to accept that. Uh, it's just like, that's the future of blockchain. We will never be able to solve that until um, modular blockchains came about. And um, what's interesting is that Mustafa, who uh, invented modular blockchains, he's the co-founder of Celestia, he um, ended up solving this trilemma by taking a completely different approach. So um, if you, the thing is that people didn't even realize that they were kind of designing and thinking about blockchains within a monolithic frame of mind. And when you're within that monolithic frame of mind, that trilemma exists. But if you take a step back and start over from first principles, um, all of a sudden you can flip that trilemma on its head and actually break it open and, and, and kind of build in a wholly new design space. And that's, that's what modular blockchains are. And the reason, there's a lot of different reasons why this is the case, but um, uh, basically, again, yeah, when, you're, when you're trying to force everything into one protocol, um, those nodes end up having to do too many things at once. And like the protocol can't be specialized to uh, actually uh, achieve a certain function. Mm -hmm. And so by splitting the stack apart, you're able to specialize and um, essentially break free from a lot of the constraints of modular monolithic blockchain. So specifically, one of the there's like two I would say enabling technologies to this new modular paradigm. The first one, uh, so well, well, first of all, the, the core is the core insight of like, okay, we're going to split execution uh, into a separate layer from the consensus and data availability layer. Uh, so that's the first core insight. But then <clears throat> to make that really, really scalable, there's two technologies. One is data availability sampling, which essentially solves the problem of how do you scale block space at the layer one? Um, how, do, how is it possible to add more and more transaction throughput without actually sacrificing, like making it uh, more expensive to run a node that verifies the blockchain because it's very important. The whole um, basis of blockchains is that end users can verify everything that happens. And the way that we do that 
uh, Mustafa uh, co-authored a paper with Vitalik in 2019, where he described a um, this thing called data availability sampling, where you can actually increase the size of a block, but still enable end users to verify it by rather than having to download the full block, which becomes too expensive as the block gets big, they just have to sample randomly from the block and that allows them to verify it uh, with very, very minimal uh, resources. So that's, that solved like, the, like one half of the puzzle, which is like scaling the, the underlying throughput of a layer one blockchain uh, in a decentralized way. And then the uh, other side of it was, okay, how do we do off-chain execution? Uh, in other words, how do we run an L2 in a secure way? And that problem was, was solved I mean, it's worked on by a lot of different people, but there was a major breakthrough, which uh, another co-founder, Celestia John Adler, came up with this construction um, called a roll-up, where um, essentially what a roll-up does is it outsources consensus and data availability to an underlying layer one, but it has it uses proofs to uh, ensure that the execution of like the rules of that chain are followed. So there are two like primary proof uh, approaches. One is a fraud proof and one is a validity proof. And so Rollup, um, you know, uses those to basically ensure that people can verify that the rules were followed and, and no one broke them. So in a fraud proof, it's that if there's fraud, someone will send you a message and, and that you'll be able to verify saying, hey, this is a fraudulent block, so don't trust it. And in the validity proof, uh, also known as like a zero knowledge rule of context, um, every new block that gets mined comes with a proof of its validity. So you don't have to trust anyone that it's valid, you just verify. You don't have to re-execute, just verify it yourself. So the combination of those two things are really what powers this um, new modular blockchain paradigm and makes it so we can have these very scalable and secure um, blockchain systems. Nick, you touched on many important points and I <laughs> would like to go back a little bit to maybe the data availability sampling. Um, does it mean that everything could do that, like your simple smartphone or do you need any specific um, technical Uh, hardware to do it? Yeah, so I'm really glad you asked this question because another major differentiator of modular blockchains versus monolithic blockchains is that um, they cut the cost to verify the blockchain. So even Ethereum, which people consider is like quite decentralized, um, you know, you have to run, you have to like have a Uh, it used to be a, a laptop, but now I think you need even more computing power to run a full node and verify the blockchain. Um, and in Solana's case, like you actually need basically like a supercomputer um, and like all these GPUs, and uh, it's very expensive to and 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 technically complex to verify the chain. Um, and uh, this is really problematic because, as I said, um, blockchain security relies on the fact that people verify the chain themselves that's what makes it decentralized and that's what enforces the rules um and so uh the cool thing about modular blockchains is that thanks to roll-ups 
and thanks to um, data availability sampling, these uh, make it so that you can actually run a, a full node and verify the chain directly on uh, very, very low resource uh, hardware. So things like your phone, for example. And so we've actually already, we've done demos and I think there's probably even like documentation online of how you can run a Celestia node on your phone. Uh, I think it has to be an Android at this moment, um, but you can run a Celestia node on your phone and actually verify the chain directly. And this is not possible on any monolithic chain because it just requires too much um, processing power essentially and too much bandwidth or too much uh, like every, all these different resources that you need. And um, this is beautiful because it means that anyone with a, with a smartphone, which is a lot, well, most people on, on the planet um, and, and only increasing, will be able to be first class citizens of uh, modular blockchains and be able to verify the network themselves. And that's really important because that, again, is the core of what makes blockchain secure and what we're all trying to achieve, which is decentralization. So uh, yeah, that's a, that's a really key part of our vision. It's a really cool thing to actually say that you can run a node on your smartphone. <laughs> That's not what many can say. Um, does it also mean that there's a higher risk of a cyber attack because the cost of entry is lower? Or is it that um, those nodes are not incentivized? How does it work? Yeah, that's a great question. I'm glad you asked that. So these, these nodes on the phone are not um, participating in consensus. So, th so th there's a node, the term node tends to be very overloaded um, in just the general discourse. So there's like validators, which are, or even, I even wish that like, that wasn't a term. Um, I would say cons there are consensus nodes and then there are full nodes. Consensus nodes are the ones that are actually participating and voting on blocks and coming to consensus on them. And then there are nodes that just observe the network and verify it. So um, the, the, the uh, consensus, the whole point of consensus and the way you design it is that it has to be civil resistant. Um, so that's why you have things like proof of stake or proof of work to solve the civil uh, attack problem. Um, but these nodes are not participating in consensus. So it's okay, um, no matter who, who, who runs them or how many nodes there are. Um, but yeah, you're not, you're not incentivized to do so. You're not actually earning staking rewards or what have you by running a node on your phone. Your, the incentive for doing so is that you get to verify the chain and make sure that like everything is, is valid. And a lot of these things will be, uh, we, we hope and we plan to have a lot of these like nodes embedded directly in wallets and uh, in your browser um, so that like users are kind of running them by default. Whereas right now the default is that people use RPC endpoints like uh, Infura, for example, when they're using Ethereum. So that rather than running their own node because it's too expensive, they just um, rely on you know trusted uh, third party that will tell them what the state of the chain is. And, um, you know, it's, this is okay because we're so early, early days, but long-term, like that's not a sustainable uh, path, nor is it really true to the values of, of crypto. Absolutely. Yeah. 
<clears throat> so the the first time I've heard about this yeah, uh, centralized node access yeah, in, on Ethereum and other chains, yeah, I was really shocked yeah, that no one is talking about it. Yeah. Because people don't think about this this uh, central point of failure, yeah, until something goes down, yeah, like we had it with with Infura, I, I think some months ago, when suddenly all the the DApps doesn't work anymore, yeah, because everyone is connecting to the same nodes. Yeah? That's that's absolutely the difference, <laughs> and I think that that makes it very important, yeah, to also. Uh, highlight those uh, features yeah of celestia and the whole modular blockchain ecosystems so um coming back to um the architecture um you've you've touched on this modularity so that that different projects can build whatever they like more or less that uh, brings up the question how can you ensure the compatibility and interoperability of those different modules with each other? Good question. So um, a big part of what still is kind of being worked out in the modular space is that um, it's kind of defining these interfaces between the different layers of the stack. And, um, you know, we, we do anticipate that there will be multiple data availability layers. Um, and we do anticipate there's going to be lots of different kinds of execution environments. A lot of people are ex execution layers, I should say. And a lot of people are, are actively building those. Um, a lot of new projects popping up in our ecosystem um, that are building execution layers. And, and there are also settlement layers. We didn't really talk much about settlement, but happy to do that. And um, it's really important as we build this stack that those different pieces are easy to mix and match because the end vision is that you, it's kind of like a, a, you know, a set of Legos where things fit together and can easily be swapped out so that you can, um, you know, combine the best features of all the different components that you want to, as, as a developer or the app, application builder to achieve what you want. And, and so um, we're, we're taking a stab at that, but it's going to ultimately be a, like community effort to define those things. There's There's been some work, for example, on defining the sort of uh, interface between consensus and execution uh, in the Cosmos stack, which is um, they use an abstraction called ABCI. Um, but <clears throat> it turns out that ABCI is a little bit um, kind of uh, specific to Tendermint and to like running an active sort of consensus process. And in like a roll-up context, uh, like a roll-up execution layer might not need a similar uh, sort of abstraction. It might need something even more simple. Um, and so there's, there's some cool ideas floating around there, but I think it'll take time before anything really solidifies. Um, but in terms of for Celestia and, and the interface with the data availability layer, um, there's kind of, uh, we have an, an API so developers can just plug into that and um, post data to Celestia uh, using uh, a very simple API. So I think that's really important to um, make it as easy to use as possible. And, um, you know, the end goal of Celestia is that developers don't have to really think about consensus or data availability. They just know that Celestia 
provides that for them in a very frictionless, low overhead uh, and cost-effective way. So, um, but yeah, there's, there's going to be a lot. And then there's all, also stuff like you can build a sovereign rollup or you can build a rollup that actually plugs into a settlement layer and the settlement layer then plugs into Celestia. So there's, a, there's like a huge amount of um, different configurations um, that are still kind of being built and explored. So it's going to be a very exciting few years as all these experiments get run and all these different interfaces get tried out. And I don't think that, again, like it, what we believe in is modulars and not maximalism. So we think that um, people should be free to use what works best. And, and that's a big difference between the modular blockchain vision and, and the monolithic blockchain vision is the monolithic blockchain vision, all these decisions are kind of made for you. And then all these chains uh, and ecosystems are arguing why theirs, their system, their approach is the best, right? And um, in a modular blockchain stack, instead, it's, it's, it's very user oriented. It's like, hey, you know, here are all the different things that you can, uh, all the different tools and components you can pick from, and you should choose the one that is best for you. We're not going to, no one, no one else knows what is going to work best for you except for you. And so you should mix and match and choose. And, you know, there are just different, it's not, a, it's not like one to one chain to rule them all or one execution layer to rule them all. It's all about like different features and different trade-offs. So that's the way that we see it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. So it, it reminds me a little bit um, of the discussion Apple versus Microsoft. Yeah. More or less. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> you have, you have a, a, the Apple approach, which is quite closed yeah, and defined. You cannot do many modifications, but it runs as it should. Yeah. And you have the other approach where you can exchange your hardware parts. You can exchange the drivers. You can touch whatever you like, but this often ends up yeah, in <laughs> blue screens and let's say uh, vulnerabilities. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And do you see, do you see, let's say more risks of uh, opening up attack vectors between those different layers because you have more interfaces uh, compared to a monolithic approach. Is, is those uh, interface between the layer a potential attack vector? Um, I don't think the interfaces themselves will be an attack vector, but I, I do think um, you, know, you have to make sure that each component is secure in, in its own way and, and in its design and what it claims to do. And um, I think that will become increasingly important as more and more projects come out um, at, at varying layers of the stack, right? Because you, know, you could have someone say, hey, we have this roll-up thing, and then it turns out that their fraud-proof system is just not secure, or maybe their, their ZK-proof system is not secure. Or maybe you have a data availability layer where um, they make all these claims, and it turns out that they don't have some key things like block reconstruction or um, uh, maybe they don't have bad encoding fraud proofs or there's like all these different things. So you do have to make sure that the underlying technology is sound and secure. But I, yeah, I don't think the interface will be a problem. And ultimately, I think the difference here is that in the, you know, uh, the Apple versus Microsoft context, like you know, the end user is a consumer or like there's a consumer who's like mixing and matching their thing. And in this case, 
it's going to be more, there, there is a consumer and a user at the end of the day, but the, the person who's doing the mixing and matching is actually a developer who should be very informed about like um, all these different components. So it's more like they are taking, like we have this, you know, suite of different components. Like here's your, uh, the different like circuit boards that you can mix and match. Here's like different battery components. And it's up to the developer to build the computer out of that. So that's kind of what the modular blockchain stack is. It's developers mixing and matching components to build their blockchain that then users will use. Interesting. So if developers can mix and match, uh, isn't the settlement layer also an important part? Or what exactly does it play in the modular stack or with the rollups building on top of it? So a settlement layer um, is something that is optional within the modular stack. And so it's to be seen how important or and how adopted settlement layers will be. Um, but what a settlement layer is, is it, it provides a few different functionalities. One of the important ones is that for some types of rollups, like um, optimistic rollups, it can be useful to have a chain where you post your um, fraud proofs. So you need to, you end up having this um, interactive um, sort of fraud proof mechanism that needs a chain to, uh, you need a chain to sort of host that interactive game. And so a, a settlement layer uh, provides that. So it can be very important to the security of optimistic rollups. Um, another thing that a settlement layer provides is um, a basically bridging liquidity. So it can be kind of a bridging hub where um, instead of each rollup having to have a bridge, like a one-to-one -one bridge with every other rollup that it wants to talk to, they can all just have a bridge to one common sort of like shared layer, which would be a settlement layer. And by bridging to that settlement layer, they're just one hop away from every other rollup. Um, and so that's, that's a really interesting thing. And, and, and then that settlement layer could end up being like a good place to pool liquidity or it could be a good place to issue assets, for example. Um, and, and you see that kind of like Ethereum playing that role within the um, Ethereum. Uh, I guess Ethereum kind of layer one plays both roles in the Ethereum roll-up landscape where um, it's where fraud proofs get um, posted and also where liquidity and bridging happens. Another cool thing about a settlement layer is that it can provide um, an exit mechanism for uh, different rollups. So like you can have a way uh, to sort of like, if things go bad on your rollup, there's a way that you can like pull out and kind of like pull the, pull the eject, push the eject button. So that's another interesting feature of settlement layers. Um, but there's a whole class of rollups that do not need settlement at all, sovereign rollups. And um, I expect those to be um, very popular and it's, it's, so it's, it's to be seen like which, which approach um, it becomes more popular in the long run. Um, but again, it's like, it doesn't matter because it's all modular um, and it's, it's all about like which features are, are most important. Exactly, yeah. Everyone's going to build what they think is important for the future of blockchain. Um, you touched on a very user-oriented vision, which is very novel, and I think 
Uh, your co-founder and inventor of modular blockchains, Mustafa El-Bazam, shares the same vision. Um, what can you tell us about him? I've heard he has a quite interesting background. Yeah, well, Mustafa, as we mentioned, um, invented the idea of modular blockchains. Um, but he comes from, yeah, his, his whole life story is, is extremely interesting. So he was actually born in Iraq and um, immigrated to the UK when he was very young um, and taught himself to code uh, at, a, at a young age and um, very quickly was like taught himself also to hack. And so as a teenager, he ran um, a hacker group called Lulzsec and was also involved in the hacker group Anonymous. Um, and they hacked, um, you know, things like the FBI, different um, uh, multinational companies like Sony and Fox and uh, exposed some like corruption. And um, it was it was a really kind of important uh, sort of like chapter in the history of sort of hacktivism. And the cool thing about Mustafa is that um, what motivated him through that was was always basically that he wanted to show that technology Uh, can sort of equal the playing field. And um, you know, that when power is being abused, you can use technology as a tool to fight that and to raise up the people who are less advantaged. And um, so that's kind of one of the things that motivated him as a, as a hacker was exposing corruption or fraud or you know, bad actors who are in positions of power. Um, And that kind of, that continues in his work with uh, Celestia in that the, the end vision of Celestia is that we want to build the tools that empowers anyone to build their own blockchain and build their own um, sort of like sovereign community. And ultimately that I think is going to be one of the things that um, helps to transition the world to a place that's more, um, equitable and also um, people have more agency and are not kind of beholden to untrustworthy institutions or you know bureaucrats kind of like dictating in, uh, the show they, they'll have the ability to sort of opt out and, and build their own systems thanks to blockchain technology and, and modular blockchains that's awesome yeah <laughs> a crazy story so One thing that we really like about Celestia is that you have such an all-star team. Yeah, So you also mentioned John Adler. So we already had him on our AMA before. And maybe would you, would you like to share a little bit about the, the funding story of Celestia? So how, how did you get together? Yeah, that's a great question. So Mustafa uh, published a... Um, post on uh, well he published a paper actually the, the, the lazy ledger white paper and um, John apparently replied well, very quickly and said like wow this is super cool and then they, they started chatting more and more and decided like this is something they want to build Mustafa in parallel had met this guy uh, Ismail who's our CTO and co-founder and he uh, had previously been working at uh, Cosmos ecosystem building uh, Tendermint 
and uh, a lot of the software that now powers the Cosmos ecosystem. And the three of them kind of got together and said that they, they really aligned around this vision for a modular blockchain ecosystem. And then the, this lazy ledger, which was just a white paper at the time, uh, turned into an actual project. Um, and uh, it was funny because they started in 2019. And for those of you who were around back then, that was the depths of the bear market. And it was extremely difficult to fundraise at the time. And everyone was, uh, you know, thinking that Ethereum was the one chain to rule them all. And, and so it was all, especially hard to fundraise for building a new layer one blockchain. Um, and especially one that had this new kind of crazy idea that a lot of people didn't understand. Even the word data availability was not something that most people knew about. I mean, it probably still isn't, but at least now it's something that um, most researchers and, and people who have been in the space long enough have at least heard. Uh, but back then, that wasn't it was something that no one really understood or, or um, would want to invest in. And so it started very humbly and it was actually very hard to sort of get going at first. Um, and then I came into the picture a little bit later um, around um, 2020 um, when I, again, read, read the Lazy Ledger white paper and just couldn't, like, as soon as I read it, I, it was like electricity just, you know, zapped me and I couldn't stop thinking about it for, for two weeks. I almost couldn't sleep because I was just, electrified by, by the idea and the beauty of the vision. And, um, you know, I remember the first message that I sent to Mustafa was essentially like, I, I need to build this with you. Like, I, like, I want to be part of history. Like this is the most important idea since, uh, Ethereum. And, uh, yeah. So eventually, uh, I ended up joining the team full time. So that's kind of how that's like the, the origin story. Yeah, glad glad you took the decision, yeah, to to join the team because I think that's that's really one of the most exciting things yeah we've seen yeah in in the past uh, yeah let's say two years yeah of of the development in this space at all. So you've touched you've touched the the topic of fundraising, and um, I'd, I'd just like I'd just like to ask you about your opinion. On the current situation after all those FTX and Alameda uh, drama yeah, that we have seen, do you think is it is it necessary for the VC space to change something to to create, let's say, a, a new trustworthy platform? So what I'll say on the fundraising point is uh, first I want to touch on like. ICOs and public sales and all that, like back in 2017 and 18, you know, ICOs were the standard and the, there's a lot of really good things about them. One is that it gave access to the public. Um, and so like people could participate and you could actually build a community from the, the very beginning of your project. Um, but the downside was that there's also a lot of scams, right? People took advantage of the fact that, you know, you could just build hype and then, do an ICO, but not actually build anything. Um, and so there was, there's give and take of positives, positives and negatives. Um, and then, but if you fast forward to today, um, and there's like a graph on this, um, there are basically no more ICOs because uh, essentially the regulatory uh, landscape 
has tightened significantly and made it very, very uh, way too risky to try to do any kind of like public sales. And so that's why teams are increasingly raising from uh, venture capital investors. And um, there's, you know, it's good because in some level, because like, obviously there's less scams going on, but at the same time, the downside is, and I think it's a really big downside, especially if you believe in like the, and then the goal of crypto to sort of like enable participation and to be sort of like permissionless. Um, the downside is that like, yeah, public people can't invest typically until a project is like very, very far into development. And um, yeah, it's just a, just a reality of the regulatory landscape that we're, that we're in. Um, but then in terms of like the FTX thing, um, yeah, I, I see that as just a, a, a reinforcement of why we're all here building crypto to begin with. Um, at the end of the day, crypto is about making sure that like getting rid of fraud and getting rid of people being able to take your money, like you should always be in control of your own money, right? And the sad thing about centralized exchanges is that like you are, when you deposit your Bitcoin or your Ethereum into FTX or Binance, or any centralized exchange, you are actually giving up custody of those funds and they can abuse that, right? So you, you're having to, by definition, you're having to trust someone when you use a centralized exchange. And the whole point of blockchains is that they should be trust minimized uh, or trustless. And um, I think we're building towards that future, but the reality is that infrastructure is not ready. But in the future, I do expect there to be a product that fully runs on blockchain that gives you the experience of a centralized exchange, uh, but is fully decentralized. So you still own all your crypto, but you can trade and do whatever you want with it um, in a secure way. And so um, it was just a, a, you know, a, a reminder of why we're all here, a painful reminder, definitely, but um, one that I think, um, you know, eventually we will get to a stage where we won't need a Binance or an FTX or any kind of centralized exchange. That's, that's the goal. That's why we're all here. Um, and really that's just the beginning because like, you know, exchanges and, and finance is only like, the, you know, the first use case of, of blockchain and, and it goes much beyond that. We fully agree with you on that. And uh, sadly things sometimes have to crash before good things can happen and innovation can take over. But talking about the future of blockchain, um, there are many different opinions about monolithic approaches and modularity. Um, on one side, you have people like Kyle Samani, who believe that a few monolithic blockchains will prevail. But on the other hand, you have people like Jack uh, Zampolin, who are betting on a modular future. What is your stance on uh, the future of blockchain? Will it be only modul modular or can they coexist? So the question is about like modular versus monolithic blockchains long-term? Yeah. Can they coexist or will monolithic approaches die? Um, I think that uh, it'll be a gradual evolution and migration away from obviously basically everything. I, oh, I guess there are already some modular blockchain pro projects that are live, like all like different rollups like Arbitrum or Starkware or Optimism, for example, um, that are building in this new 
frame, but I think they're still kind of the minority. But yeah, over time, I expect um, more and more of developer activity and user activity to migrate to modular blockchains just because they will have so many advantages that both developers and users will care about. So one is because they will make block space so abundant, um, you know, fees will be very cheap. And um, that's, that's a really, really important thing. There's also, as a developer, I have so much freedom and flexibility uh, that it's, it's very appealing to build on. And, um, you know, enables me to very easily build things like app chains, which, you know, application-specific chains could have a lot of advantages over building, you know, your application as a smart contract on a monolithic blockchain like Ethereum or Solana. So for all those reasons, I do expect um, eventually mo modular chains to dominate. Um, but there could be, I, don't know, the, 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 I do think like it will take time, first of all. And then second of all, there might be you know, some, some hold out. I, I don't, I don't, I, I'm never like, I'm not an absolutist. Um, and so I do see, I, I could see it taking a while and there could be uh, like activity on monolithic blockchains for quite some years to come. Interesting approach. Yeah. We, only time will tell and um, we will see what the future brings. Maybe because we're hitting the one hour line, we don't want to stress out your time. And maybe one more question before we wrap it up. Sure. Perfect. So for the people listening in and for VV maybe, what can we do to support your vision and support Celestia in the long run? Uh, that's a great question. Well, first of all, um, if there are any builders in the audience who are listening and you have ideas of... Um, different applications you want to build or you want to participate in the development of the core protocols or any aspect of the modular stack. Um, that's the most important thing because right now it, it is very much an engineering problem where we need to um, write lots of code and we need to also solve a lot of research problems. Like this whole modular movement is, you know, very technical in nature and will require a lot of uh, hard work and a lot of engineering. We're still, blockchain is still in the infrastructure phase. So the more infrastructure builders we have, the better. Um, however, we are starting to reach this point where modular blockchains are actually usable by application developers. So um, we have some teams doing that. And if you're interested, like we'd love to t chat with you um, and, and build together. Um, nothing is more satisfying than seeing your uh, stack get used. And then beyond that, to the, the general uh, public and, and investors and enthusiasts and crypto, um, there's a lot of different things you can do. One is to spread the word uh, about modular blockchains, help um, educate people about them. Um, there's, you know, most people are still not aware of this new approach. And I do think it is a huge opportunity for people to get ahead of the curve. And it's also just very interesting. And it forces people to also learn about blockchain fundamentals, which I do think we've kind of strayed away from. And it's, it's very important that people who use blockchains and invest in blockchains actually understand how they work. Um, so that's, that's another big one. And lastly, you know, when the network goes live, um, you know, run, run a light node. Um, the, the amazing thing about Celestia is that 
you know, running a, a node uh, is not just verifying the network, it's also helping to secure it. Um, and so by running a node, you're gonna add more security and also more throughput capacity to the network. It's kind of like a BitTorrent uh, network where the more people seeding, um, you know, content, the more, um, you know, total content can be stored by the, the overall network. So um, you can actively participate in Celestia, even as like a, uh, just a normal node, which is not the, the, the case in monolithic blockchains. That's awesome. That's really awesome. So thank you very much yeah, for your time. So when listeners want to follow Celestia's uh, developments and uh, community, um, where can we find those uh, Discord servers or pages? Yeah, so we have, obviously, we're active on our main Twitter account at Celestia.org. Um, and we're also, uh, if you go on to our website, celestia.org, you're going to find links to Discord and Telegram. We have a forum, we have Reddit. Um, there's lots of different ways to uh, engage in the community. Um, if you have questions, I really recommend, you know, ask them on Twitter, tag me or tag uh, at celestia.org. And uh, we'd love to answer your questions and, um, yeah, we have also a lot of resources if you're into learning about this stuff on the website. So we have this whole section called Learn Modular, which is, uh, you know, has a bunch of articles where you can dive deeper uh, into understanding what, uh, how modular blockchains work, what the different words mean. And um, we also have uh, this, these uh, series of uh, talks called uh, Modular Insights, where we have different projects throughout the modular ecosystem presenting their what they're building and so that's another way to get um kind of like on the bleeding edge of the research and uh, innovation and um we also have modular uh, celestia spotlights where we interview the founders behind these projects so there's a lot of different content to consume uh and hopefully people enjoy it and ask questions and and spread the the modular movement in their communities awesome so go ahead check them out um Again, Nick, thank you very much for taking the time. <laughs> I think you have plenty of things to do with Celestia. And it was a pleasure talking to you and getting to know your vision and the vision of your co-founders in Celestia in general. I hope we stay in touch and I'm looking forward to talk to you again. Thank you, guys. This is awesome. I really appreciate the time. Uh, thanks, everyone, for listening in and uh, be in touch. See you, Nick. Bye thank bye. you, Nick. Have a nice day. Thanks to the community and see you next time. Bye-bye. Bye, everyone. This recording has been prepared and made available by VVV. It is for informational purposes only and should not be considered a solicitation to sell, buy or subscribe to any financial instruments or products. VVV does not express any opinion as to the present or future price of any instrument mentioned in this recording. The information provided in this recording is believed to be valid and accurate on the date it is first published, but VVV, along with its directors, officers and employees, does not accept any liability for any loss arising from the use of this information as it may change in the future without notice. Any decision made by a party after listening to this recording shall be on the basis of its own research and not based on the information and opinions provided by VVV.